This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. Great to have you with us. What happens when the church becomes just like the world? Well, it's a relevant question whose importance was highlighted just recently by the actions of the Church of England. The church's bishops, as you might recall, put out some guidance that said sexual relationships outside heterosexual marriage are regarded as falling short of God's purpose for human beings and that people in gay or straight civil partnerships should be sexually abstinent. But it didn't last long. As The Guardian reported, the archbishops of Canterbury and York apologized over that statement issued by Church of England bishops, which declared that only married heterosexuals should have sex. Justin Welby and John Sentamu said they took responsibility for releasing the statement, which they said jeopardized trust. And they added, we are very sorry and recognize the division and hurt this has caused. Now, that's bad enough, but my next guest says the new Archbishop of York, who is set to replace Sentiment when he steps down this year, is not any better and, in fact, may complete the cultural Marxists' long march through the institutions. So we're going to get some thoughts on this now from the Reverend Melvin Tinker, an international speaker, author, and senior minister of St. John Newland Hall in the UK, and his latest book is Veiled in Flesh. Reverend Tinker, welcome back to the show. It's so great to have you with us again. It's good to be with you, Janet. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's great to be with you. Oh, thank you. Why would the Church of England affirm that only married heterosexuals should have relations and then quickly walk it back? What is going on there? <laughs> oh, boy. I mean, uh, yes. I mean, what is going on? Um, <laughs> in, in, in many ways, this just shows the ineptitude of the two archbishops. Um, <clears throat> yeah, as, as you uh, said there in your statement, you had, on the one hand, uh, you know, release of, of, of the um, original statement, which was from the House of Bishops. And all that was doing was simply affirming the official position of the Church of England, uh, which is the position of the Bible, uh, and so on, that, um, you know, uh, sex is for, uh, for marriage, heterosexual marriage. Right. And uh, a number of years ago at Lambeth, all the bishops... Um, in the uh, in the Anglican Communion, affirmed that was called Lambeth One Ten, and and that ruled out uh, homosexual relationships. Right. And of course, many of the Americans didn't like that at all. But anyway, that's <laughs> that's what happened. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's been a steady steady erosion, and uh, the you know the progressive movement has uh, you know juggernaut has continued in the Church of England uh, to push more and more for, for homosexual uh, relationships to be accepted. Uh, the, trans- the transgender agenda is now um, really coming to the fore as well. So, um, so on the one hand, uh, about a few days earlier, this is what we believe, and then a few days later, lots of uh, and quite a number of the bishops retracted and said, "Oh, we, we're not happy about uh, this statement, which we're supposed to have signed, but we're not." Ha- you know, I mean, that's an attitude anyway. Yeah. But then the two archbishops to them say, "Okay, we apologise." Now the question is, what are they apologising for? Right. Are they apologising? for the content, or are they apologizing for the bad timing, or are they apologizing for the bad reaction? Right. Um, and again, it's just a typical ecclesiastical fudge. They won't say. So they're trying to have the cake and eat it. 
but he talks about um, uh, you know the the statement actually um, eroded trust. Well, surely this second statement has thrown trust out the window because how can you trust these two guys who are so inept? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, well, and, and you look at the bishops giving the guidance and being completely biblical in what they said. If you can't stand firmly on the Bible, why are you even in the church? I guess we could ask this of the mainline Protestant denominations here in the United States. We have the same problem over here. But it, they look ridiculous. But again, this goes back to wanting to be more like the culture than like God himself. No. I mean, that, that really seems to be the bottom line in all of this. That's correct, because the thing is, if we stick with the Bible, which is, you know, it's, 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 God's, it's got the authority of God, it is God's Word, and um, the meaning is fixed. The meaning of the Bible is fixed. That meaning is fixed. Yes. Um, now, the significance, how that works out, will, will vary, uh, obviously, how you, you know, one particular passage in one uh, situation will... Um, be applied differently, you know, we know this in our own lives, you know, God speaks to us in, uh, more through, for one passage in, in one situation and a different one in another, but the meaning is still there, you, it's not variable. Um, but you move away from that, then what have you got? Well, you've got nothing, you know, you, 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 you just subject to the shifting sands, shifting sands of, of, of culture, and there's no stability there. No. And, um, whereas we've got the fixed Word of God, uh, and that's the Holy Star by which we can guide our lives and, and bring about, um, you know, a, a good and wholesome society. Throw that away, you've got degeneration, and that's what we see today. Oh, you do. Well, you wrote about the appointment of this new woke Archbishop of York who's coming in, Stephen Cottrell. Can you tell us a little bit about Stephen Cottrell and why he's important? Okay, well, it's, uh, it's uh, Stephen Cottrell. Cottrell, uh, okay. Pronounced. Americanizing yeah, okay. it, yeah. Sorry. I know you do. That's okay. <laughs> we, we do the same over here with, you, with your... <laughs> um, yeah, Stephen Cottrell. Now, um, the interesting thing, um, Stephen Cottrell um, is uh, being appointed to the second highest position in the Church of England and one of the most influential positions in the Anglican Communion, okay? Um he he hasn't even got a degree in theology, no. <laughs> believe it or not. He has not got a degree in theology. Uh, he um, his, his, his degree, uh, initial degree, was in media studies at a third grade uh, third grade uh, college in London. Oh, good grief! Uh, it wasn't a proper even. It wasn't even a proper university. Uh, uh, I know it sounds snobby, but I'm not being. It's just a fact. Yeah. Um, and he got a certificate in in, in theology uh, from St Stephen's House in, in Oxford which is an Anglo-Catholic um, place. So here you've got a man who's got no degree in theology in, in this position. And, uh, but nonetheless, he's got a degree in media studies. Now, that's interesting, I think, because, again, this shows where, uh, where things are going. I was more concerned with packaging rather than with content, um, you know, presentation uh, rather than substance. Yes. And, and so in that sense, he's ideal. But um, he is... Um, certainly very, very progressive. And in one sense, he's, he's a brilliant appointment for the progressives. Because on the one hand, um, he uh, claims to be an evangelist, and um, he was founder of what's called the College of Evangelists. But it seems to me, and he's got the gift of the gap, you know, as we say, you know, <laughs> uh, you know he, he, can, he can talk a good game. Um, but 
it seems to me that if you're going to be an evangelist, you ought to know what the evangel is. It might be a good and thing, yeah. Certainly, <laughs> cultural does not believe the, the, you know, the gospel. Simple as that. Okay. What the evangel is. Wow. Uh, he says uh, the gospel is about what it means to be made in God's image. Well, that's not the gospel. No. <laughs> no, that's, that's not the good news. That's just kind of a basic yeah. fact. And what happened after so, we were created in God's image, we fell into sin. Exactly. We, the, the good news is redemption. And being remade into made and more into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, so that comes through repentance and believing in his atoning death, which Cottrell doesn't believe in anyway. Sure. Um, so on the one hand, he's theologically liberal, um, and there's no question about that. And with that, of course, comes in its, its wake uh, liberal uh, liberal views on on issues of morality, and he's very very uh, pro. Um, same-sex marriage. Hmm. Uh, that, that is what he, he, he will be pushing for and is pushing for. Uh, the other side, of, uh, the flip side of this, too, is that he's not only liberal in theology, but he's Catholic in terms of, uh, you know, emphasis on ritual and um, throwing his weight around, basically. Hmm. Uh, very much like uh, the guys over in, in America, the Episcopal Church. Right. Uh, you know, so if think Episcopal Church, you've got him. Okay? Okay, that makes that's sense. That's what we've now got. So he becomes my immediate boss here. Oh, boy. Because I'm in York Diocese. My goodness. So he becomes my boss. Yeah. Well, in theory, anyway. Yes. So here's bad news. Now, he is going to, to, uh, to really be now on the vanguard of the, the, the changes which will happen now in the Church of England this year, which will uh, be a further step, if not allowing it anyway, uh, that is same-sex marriage uh, within the Church of England. Well, I'll tell you what, there's a lot more to discuss. We do have to pause for a very quick break. Reverend Melvin Tinker with us. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today. Don't go away. Janet Meffer today is proud to partner with Preborn to help save babies' lives. Well, my name is Dan Steiner, and I'm the president of Preborn. Ultrasound truly is a game changer. When a mom comes into a pregnancy center under pressure to abort her child, perhaps the dad's gone, perhaps her mother is pressuring her. Most of the time in her heart, she doesn't want to abort, but what she needs is something that will give her the strength to choose life against the pressures that are forcing her to consider abortion. That's the ultrasound. If she hears her baby's heartbeat and sees that baby on ultrasound, everything's different. Will you join us in saving babies' lives? Preborn funds pregnancy centers across the nation so they can offer free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. Ultrasound is a game changer because when abortion-minded women actually see their babies in their wombs for themselves, 80% of the time, they choose life. Would you please join us at Janet Meffer today to support the ministry of Preborn? For $140, you can provide five free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. A gift of $22 will provide one ultrasound, and every gift helps. To donate, please call now, 
402 baby. That's 855 402 2229. Or there's a banner to click at janetmefford.com. All gifts are tax deductible, and 100% of your gift goes directly towards saving babies. You can get involved and you can help save a life for a gift of $140. Five free ultrasounds will be offered to women in crisis pregnancies. Let's do more than talk about abortion. Let's save some lives. Please call now with your gift, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, I always find it interesting to look over across the pond and see what's going on in Christianity in the UK. And the reason is because it seems whatever is going on over there ends up over here. There are a lot of similarities, in fact, between what's going on in the Church of England and what's going on in some of the mainline liberal Protestant denominations here in the U.S. But Reverend Melvin Tinker is with us, and he is commenting on this new woke Archbishop of York who's coming on board, Stephen Cottrell. And you made the remark, Reverend Tinker, that you are expecting with the appointment of this new archbishop, that there will be changes coming in the next year. What do you anticipate in terms of the changes that might be imminent in, right. in, within the Church okay. of England? Well, okay, there's a, there's, a, there's a report due out um, this year. I think, it's about, I think it would be about July um, called um, Living in Faith and Love, which basically is going to be uh, a, a kind of a prophet or son of a prophet, but uh, will be a means whereby the Church of England will accommodate, will try and accommodate different views on sexuality, hmm. and therefore legitimise uh, same-sex relations and the whole uh, and transgender uh, and so on. That's what's coming, and I think this is um, why this fellow has been appointed. Now, what surprised me. Um, just in time for this big debate, which will happen in July, and it will also happen up here in York, uh, in this particular part of the country. So, um, what has happened, they've maneuvered things in such a way that we now have an Archbishop of York, who will be chairing this big synod, this gathering of, 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 the, of the clergy and the laity in the Church of England, on this fundamental um, transforming uh, debate. Uh, and so he is the man in place to do it. Because yeah. he is he's behind, he's going to be so pro it. Um, and, and, and it surprised me that he's going to be put in position so quickly. So the present Archbishop Sentinel will be leaving in June, and this guy is going to be put in place in, Ju- in June as well. Okay. Now, usually there's a few months uh, space, but they've not allowed him space this time. Okay. Well, that's disturbing. So what is the official position right now in the Church of England? Because we sometimes will get headlines over here about they want to create a transgender naming service and they're, you know, jockeying around these yeah. different ideas. But what what is the official? I mean, you had the guidance from the bishops that seemed to make it pretty clear, but is it pretty orthodox in terms of what the Church of England's official stance is on yes. homosexuality? I mean, offici- yeah, officially, there's, there's no change. Um but this is where it goes back to cultural Marxism, you see, we spoke about uh, on an early program. Because in terms of cultural Marxism, you do not attack a position directly. So, you know, you don't try to change the law directly. You don't try and change the articles of faith directly. 
you, you subvert them, you go around them, you basically you ignore them. Yes. And you basically try to win the hearts and minds of people. And so as long as you've got that, if people are well disposed to, if you like, the progressive agenda, who cares what the rule book says? You just ignore the rule book. Exactly. And, 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 and eventually dust gathers on it anyway. And then in time, you change the rule book. But you don't try to change the rule book first. You change the minds of, and feelings, particularly of the people. And that's what's been going on in, in, our, uh, in the Church of England now for, for the last few years. And they've won. <laughs> yes, they seem to have won. It, but they've got their man in place. Um, wow. And it has all the other hallmarks. I mean, you know, it's very much against Trident missiles over here. And uh, and what do you think of your president? Uh, I can't even repeat. But, um, <laughs> there we are. <laughs> there you are. Well, I thought it was interesting in the article that you wrote about this incoming Archbishop of York. You said he basically says we have to listen to the culture lest the yes. culture may see the church is immoral. That is so backwards. I don't even know where to begin with that. The church needs to stand on God's eternal truth. The culture is going to do a lot of things over the course of human history, but the church can't change because the Bible doesn't change. Absolutely. It's just ridiculous. I mean, this, and this guy is trumped up as a great evangelist. You know, as, as I said in the article, he's not a defender of the faith. He's a surrenderer of the faith. Well, um, that's, that's right. What, what, it, what, it, what it amounts to. So right. it's the, the, it, it with the early Christians, it was a simple question. Who is going to be Lord? Is it Christ or Caesar? Our question today is who's going to be Lord, Christ or culture? Yes. And without doubt, and, and of course, the whole basic end of cultural Marxism is that it's got to be culture and a particular view of it as well. And, and, and with this fellow, uh, and with many Anglicans, I'm sad to say, is culture is king. It seems um, that way. And, and um, as one fellow um, <clears throat> being once said, you know, it, um, if you marry, um, say, uh, it, it, yeah, if you marry it, um, it, uh, this cu- particular culture, then you're going to be a widow in the next. Hmm. That's true. Um, and, and that's trouble. Um, it, it, it just changes. Well, and, and, and again, yeah. that's what we're talking about. Exactly. Well, and how in the world? I mean, think about this for a moment. I'm, I'm kind of going back to this this last sentence that we talked about, where this archbishop is saying, you know, we we can't let the culture see us as immoral. Well, how do we define morality? Do we obviously we have a problem in the world where we have men and women falling into sin and being really immoral, and we've seen a cultural downshift over many many decades where it's getting worse and worse and worse. It's not like we're getting more moral. You know, this is just not even based in reality. And yet, how many people in the Church of England are on board with this? What what is the the breakdown of people who want to stay with God's word and people who would rather have have a progressive agenda imposed on the church? Well, it, it, again, it's, it's not simply a matter of numbers. I mean, if you're sacking up the numbers and if it's a matter of votes, um, then um, I think evangelicals would win because we are, but we've, got, we've got the largest churches. We just finished our, we just have to fill in our, um, what's called statistics for mission, that's church attendance and so on. Um, for the diocese, and when they get these figures, I think they're going to fall off their chair. I mean, we're we're getting on a normal Sunday uh, over nearly six hundred people now. Wow, over five hundred. Wow. Uh, at Christmas, we had a thousand people. Okay, I mean, those statistics are almost unknown in in England. And why? All we're doing is is teaching the Bible. <laughs> yeah. We're not putting on a show or anything like that. But the people who occupy power. 
in in the in these structures in the Church of England aren't the ones who are like myself working hard on the ground to do the gospel work. They're, they're not bothering with that sort of thing. They get involved in the committees, yeah. and they get involved in the politics, and they get themselves in positions whereby these decisions are made, policies are made, and ordinary churches like ourselves are then damaged as a result. And that's a shame. At what point will churches like yours say, we, we just can't even stay within the Church of England anymore? I know Americans you know, are very known for leaving churches and splitting and sectarianism and so forth. But, you know, the Church of England is a longstanding institution and in, in church and many people are very faithful to it. How do you? Yeah. How do you see it? Is the progressive program is put into place in the Church of England? What happens to conservatives? Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, two things. First, first of all, um, I think, uh, and, and our people think, um, the Church of England is, uh, I, is, is corrupt and corrupting institution. And I think short of a major miracle of God, it's irredeemable. Hmm. It's, it's beyond the pale now. Yeah. Um, I, was in, I was reading a book, uh, I always read it in, in, over Christmas and all summer, by J.C. Ryle, probably one of the last great bishops we had in, Love him. in England in the 19th century. Yes. And he wrote a lovely book on um, the 18th century evangelical leaders, the great you know, Wesley and Whitfield uh, and, and, and all these great evangelical leaders during the great awakening, you call it awakening, you call it revival. And he describes what Britain was like in the 18th century, how dreadful it was, and how bad the Church of England was. And he said, had it not been for the revival, the mighty outpouring of God's Spirit and return to biblical truth, the Church of England would have sunk without a trace. Okay. Now, the difference between then and now, there are lots of differences, the one main difference between then and now is this. Then, in the Church of England, it was basically by neglect that he got into such a bad state. It wasn't so much that people were denying things, they just didn't know what he was, they were believing. But, um, but basically, they believed in the God of the Bible, okay? Now we're in a different position. We've now got people in positions of power who do not believe in the God of the Bible, and they're putting in a different religion. It's a form of paganism. Yes. And paganism is now ruling the Church of England. So I, I think it's going to be... In, I think the... A number of people have already left the Church of England. Some congregations have left. An increasing number will leave um, post-2020 without a shadow of a doubt. Huh. Well, and, I and, can't and, blame them. Just, just point two. I think one of the things that I found so disappointing, I don't always like over there, but I can think, well, there's myself and two other people I know who have publicly spoken out against disappointment. All the other evangelicals, of which there are many, have remained silent. Hmm. And that is the scandal. It is. We can point at the liberals and we can point at the Anglo Catholics, but actually the real fault is with spineless evangelicals and it's a shame. It is. It is a shame. Well and, and you have this news story right now where Franklin Graham, the evangelist, is coming over to the UK to preach and seven cities now have said you can't come here because you speak out against homosexuality. I mean that should be an occasion for the Church of England to stand up in his defense if they really had their heads on straight. Absolutely. I mean it is it is it is appalling. Yes. <laughs> you know and <clears throat> um, we you know, we can have people coming out of this country um, who um, are um, of the Muslim faith and would speak, would be allowed publicly to 
speak out, say, against Israel, and, and, and say some pretty hateful things about, you know, and be anti-Semitic. And, and that's okay. Franklin Graham comes over here to preach the gospel, and because he's not politically correct, according to the, you know, the, the, the gay lobby, and um, uh, the, 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 the others, uh, many of the left, um, he's not allowed to speak. It's crazy. Well, Reverend Melvin Tinker, glad you are keeping the faith. Reverend Tinker, thank you so much for being with us, and we'll be back on Janet Mefford today. This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. Well, the Military Religious Freedom Foundation is at it again. Mikey Weinstein is now going after a Navy chap who delivered a Christian seminar called Lead Like Jesus, calling it a blatant violation of the separation of church and state. But is that really true? We're going to get some thoughts on it now from Mike Berry, General Counsel for First Liberty Institute. Mike, great to have you with us. That's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Sure thing. Well, tell us about this chaplain and this seminar. What went on here? Well, this was a, a chaplain, a Navy chaplain out of uh, Naval Station Newport, Rhode Island, where I've actually had the privilege of spending uh, quite a bit of time back in my active duty days. It's a, it's a great place. Um, but this chaplain was simply uh, providing people who, you know, on a voluntary basis, who wanted to participate in a leadership program or seminar called Lead Like Jesus. I uh, sent out an email simply promoting it and saying, look, anybody who wants to participate, you know, here are the details, et cetera, et cetera. And lo and behold, the the perpetually offended um, (laughs) folks at the Military Religious Freedom Foundation thought that a chaplain promoting, uh, you know, voluntary religious exercise or religious study uh, is a violation of the so-called separation of church and state. And they sent a quote-unquote nasty gram to the the Navy demanding that this chaplain be, you know, punished to the severest extent possible and court-martialed and so on and so forth. Absolutely ridiculous. I was going to say, is this a new thing that chaplains are actually presenting religious conduct, uh, you know, content on a voluntary basis? It doesn't seem like this is anything new. No, and in fact, the, the interesting thing is there, there was a lawsuit going all the way back to the early 80s, so, you know, roughly, what is it, 30, you know, 30 or 40 years ago now, uh, in which uh, some Harvard law students challenged the existence of the Army Chaplain Corps. They actually sued in federal court to have the Army Chaplain Corps declared a violation of the separation of church and state, and thankfully that case went all the way up to the Court of Appeals, just one step below the U.S. Supreme Court, where the court said that not only are they are chaplains and and religious expression and religious conduct in the military permissible, but chaplains are actually, uh, the Congress is constitutionally obligated uh, to have a chaplain corps in order to ensure that the free exercise rights of our service members is provided for and protected. So, and that's really, you know, so this is kind of the, you know, the the personification of that uh, in, in that a chaplain is simply making available, again, on a voluntary basis to anyone who, who would like to participate in the study. And the other thing I want to point out is that uh, the, the title of this study is called Lead Like Jesus. 
And, and, and Newport, Rhode Island is a place that's where the Naval War College is. You have a lot of people who are going on to become leaders in the military, and a lot of they go on to become commanders, you know, admirals, um, you know, commander, uh, captains of ships and, and aircraft carriers and so on and so forth. You know, who better to study than the historical figure of Jesus? So even if you're not a religious person, Jesus had uh, plenty to offer on the topic of leadership and servant leadership. Yes. And I would think that our military leaders, uh, that's exactly the sort of person that they, they should be looking to historically as someone to study. Well, right. I mean, what was the content of the series? Was it basically leadership tools, that sort of thing? Or was there something that specifically offended Weinstein uh, in terms of the content? Uh, To be honest, Mikey Weinstein is offended any time anybody wearing the uniform of the United States military does anything religious. True. Um, His particular, his target of preference is Christianity. He likes to claim that he has, you know, throngs of clients who are offended Christians. Hmm. Um, I would be shocked if, I I think his claims are dubious, and I would be shocked if any, uh, uh, you know, Bible-believing, professing Christian would say that, a, a Christian should not study Jesus as a model of leadership. And I would be shocked if anybody in the military would say that historical leader such as Jesus, someone who, who clearly uh, was able to, to motivate and empower and encourage people who, who followed him, that a military leader should not study Jesus as a leader. So uh, I, I think Mikey Weinstein's claims are, are dubious. They are, uh, he, he clearly has his own sort of fairy tale view of the Constitution. Um, but you know what? It's America. It's a free country. He's entitled to, to have his opinions. Yeah, he has issues. That's for sure. He's always stirring stuff up. Here, here was what really was interesting to me, Mike, because Fox had reported on this, saying that a board member of Mikey Weinstein's organization sent an email to this base commander claiming that this Lead Like Jesus series was a violation of the Constitution and Navy rules because some of the people who received the email might not be Christian. Well, where does the Constitution say anything about you can't send emails with any references to Jesus to people who might not believe in him? I mean, are we getting off in the weeds here a little bit? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing, though, and and this doesn't surprise me and and probably doesn't surprise our listeners, which is that Mikey Weinstein probably doesn't brush up on his constitutional law very often. He doesn't. He probably doesn't pay attention to what the Supreme Court has been doing, um, or if he does, he, he, he just ignores it. Uh, the Supreme Court, fairly recently, uh, I guess well, it's been about five years now, issued a decision in a case called the Town of Greece versus Galloway. Yes. And one of the important takeaways from that decision is that offense does not amount to coercion, right? True. Um, and mm-hmm. that was where a prayer was being delivered at a, uh, a, a basically a, a city council meeting, right? And the prayer was actually being delivered by a member of the local clergy. And the argument was that, well, this violates the Constitution because there might be, and, and you know, stop me if this sounds familiar, we just talked about this, <laughs> there might be some people in the audience who are not Christians and who don't believe what that member of the clergy believes and don't want to hear it, and, and that might offend them. Yeah. And the Supreme Court said, look, we're exposed to things all the time that we don't agree with or that we don't like or that even offend our sensibilities. But the mere fact that we've been offended by something doesn't mean that it violates the Constitution. The Constitution, at least in this country, sets a much higher bar for when it's going to be violated simply by by something that somebody else says. And and that bar, uh, by and large, is coercion, right? If somebody is doing something that coerces you or forces you against your will to begin acting or not acting in a certain way, then you probably have a constitutional violation. But simply 
the fact that an email came across my inbox that said something that I I don't particularly care for, look, I, I can just hit delete. It's right. not a constitutional violation. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that that it seems like he's really, really reaching. Do you think there actually will be an investigation into this? Do these, you know, military officials generally feel like they have to respond? Otherwise, they'll be in big, bigger trouble with Weinstein or or do you think this will go nowhere? You know, I will say that in years past, uh, we, we would see things like this result in an investigation, and Mikey Weinstein would love to crow about that. Uh, uh, you know, he used to claim that he had a bat phone to the Pentagon and that, you know, he could, he, it, like, he could get, he would say jump and they would say how high. I think those days are long gone. Uh, I think there are still some holdovers from that regime, from sort of the Obama administration era. Uh, I think, though, uh, we're seeing more and more that, the military officials are kind of getting sick and tired of Mikey Weinstein's complaints because they're often, like I said, dubious and, and baseless. Right. And they're starting to ignore him. And, you know, they'll resp- I, I expect that they will respond politely to him, but, um, it, it, but basically saying, look, um, there's, not, there's, nothing, there's no there there, yeah. you know, yeah. it, it, that nothing to see here, just move along. Would it be fair to say then that if something is voluntary in nature coming from a chaplain's office or a chaplain's series like this and there's no coercion at all, that you're in safe territory, would it be that black and white? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and look, that goes for, for even non-chaplains, okay? Right. If a commander simply says, um, you know, hey, I, I, you know, I, I have a Bible study at, at my house on Wednesday night or whatever, you know, or, or you know, we're watching a, um, I'm trying to think of what the latest, uh, you know, Christian movie is or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're watching a, a, a faith-based movie or a faith-themed movie. Uh, anybody who wants to stop by, you're free to. We're going to have chips and salsa or, what, you know, or whatever, right? Sure. Um, uh, you know, and if it's made voluntary like that, that's perfectly fine. And even more so when it's coming from a chaplain, because that's precisely who you would expect to be sort of notifying people about religious opportunities on base. And, and again, going back to what we said at the beginning, that's exactly why chaplains exist. They're there to provide for religious uh, expression, religious conduct, and make sure that our brave men and women who are serving in uniform, who are often taken far away from their hometowns where they can't just get in the car or, or walk down to their local place of worship on a Sunday morning or a Saturday morning or whatever the case might be, that they still have a way to do that. And that's what chaplains do. And that's what this chaplain was doing here. So good on him. Yeah, for sure. Well, Mike Berry from First Liberty Institute. Check them out at firstliberty.org. Mike, thanks so much. Always good to have you here. Thanks for having me. All right, you bet. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today. To me, the ultrasound was the best part because up until that point, I did not think about anything but myself. I did not think about the blessing that I was given or what was inside of me. The Ministry of Preborn meets young moms where they are and introduces them to their preborn babies. Because when a mom in crisis sees her baby on ultrasound and hears his heartbeat, eight out of 10 times, she will see her baby as a living person, not an inconvenience. And that ultrasound changed everything for me. It really did. That made it all worthwhile to know that I was going to have a little blessing. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country. 
Would you join with Preborn and Janet Maffer today? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help save five babies' lives. All gifts are tax deductible, and 100% of your donation goes towards saving babies' lives. Call 855-402-BABY now. 855-402-2229. That's 855-402-BABY. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMaffer.com. The healthcare open enrollment period has ended. Did you miss it? Don't go a whole year without having a healthcare program. Sign up with Liberty HealthShare. As a Christian healthcare sharing ministry, Liberty HealthShare is not insurance, so you can still sign up. In fact, you can sign up any time of year, and there are no contracts. Starting as low as $199 a month, Liberty HealthShare has memberships for singles, couples, and families, so you can choose the ideal program for your situation. Plus, Liberty HealthShare has no network, so you're free to pick your own doctors, hospitals, and providers. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Go to libertyhealthshare.org JMT for more information. libertyhealthshare.org JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now here's Janet. Boy, Tuesday and Wednesday, not so good for Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Unbelievable. Well, the acquittal came. The acquittal came. Chief Justice John Roberts read the vote totals during the Senate session yesterday. Listen to cut one. The presiding officer directs judgment to be entered in accordance with the judgment of the Senate as follows. The Senate, having tried Donald John Trump, President of the United States, upon two articles of impeachment, exhibited against him by the House of Representatives and two-thirds of the senators present not having found him guilty of the charges contained therein. It is therefore ordered and adjudged that the said Donald John Trump be, and he is hereby, acquitted of the charges in said articles. All right. Cue all of the memes of the screaming leftists who were on their knees during the Women's March and screaming at the sky because that's basically what was going on. Ah, I mean, they knew it was going to happen. They knew that the Senate, controlled by the Republicans, Mitt Romney notwithstanding, were never going to remove President Trump from office over what was a blatantly political hit job from beginning to end. You can't continually use your resistance momentum to launch attack after attack after attack after attack. And as each attack falls apart, you move on to the next one. Anybody can see through this. Little kids can see through this. It's not something that really is escaping the notice or the intelligence of the American people. Now, I liked what Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell had to say. He actually had a number of good things to say. I just want to play this for you. Listen to cut two. The architects of this impeachment claimed they were defending norms and traditions. In reality, it was an assault on both. First, the House attacked its own precedents on fairness and due process and by rushing to use the impeachment power as a political weapon of first resort. Then their articles attacked the office of the presidency. Then they attacked the Senate and called us treacherous. Then the far left tried to impugn the chief justice for remaining neutral during the trial. And now, and now, for the final act, the Speaker of the House is trying to steal the Senate's sole power to render a verdict. Speaker says she will just refuse to accept this acquittal. Speaker of the House says she refuses to accept this acquittal, whatever that means. Perhaps she will tear up the verdict like she tore up the State of the Union address. 
Oh, very well said. Very well said. Isn't it funny, though, because the left is the side of the aisle that is constantly yelling and screaming about Trump being a dictator and waiting and he's like Hitler or Mussolini or whatever insult they want to hurl at him on any given day. Who's acting like an insane dictator now? This woman is unhinged unhinged. And I'm not just saying unhinged from a moral point of view, which I believe clearly she is. But to stand behind the president of the United States and stand next to the vice president of the United States during the State of the Union address and rip up the State of the Union address in front of everybody on TV. What exactly were you trying to accomplish, Speaker Pelosi? What what were you trying to accomplish? Because All you did was enrage people. And it was sort of funny because C-SPAN had a number of callers who phoned in and said, I'm a Democrat and I will never vote for the Democrat Party again after watching that maneuver. That was so petty. That was so ridiculous and so insulting. How can you Democrats sit on your hands or walk out of the uh, of the entire address because you, you don't want to applaud anything good that President Trump has brought about? Don't you care about your country? I think some of these people are beginning to see it. It isn't about the success of the country. It isn't about low unemployment. It isn't about these military heroes who were honored. It wasn't about Rush Limbaugh, who in stage four advanced lung cancer was honored with the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And you had Whoopi Goldberg on The View talking about I thought this was supposed to be for people who do stuff. You know, Rush Limbaugh has done way more than you've ever done, Whoopi. You couldn't even imagine. He revolutionized talk radio. He revolutionized the AM dial. He, he is... The person to whom every talk radio host, including me, has to look as as the person who paved the way for all the rest of us as time went along. But Whoopi didn't like him. I mean, how tacky is this? These people are so obvious. And I find it interesting to see more and more Americans, even who have been voting for Democrats all along, all of a sudden snapping up and saying, what? Why, why would you not clap for low unemployment? What is going on with that? At any rate, the vice president was on Fox News and was asked about this ripping up of the president's speech and weighed in a little bit here on his reaction. This is cut three. I didn't see her do it. I found out just a few moments later, and I think it was a new low. Um, I wasn't sure if she was ripping up the speech or ripping up the Constitution. I mean, the, you know, it's, it's clear the contrast here was a president who spent an hour and a half making the speech about America. Right. And Nancy Pelosi in the final moments tried to make it about her. And I think the American people see through it. I think they see through the pettiness. They see through the politics of all of it. And uh, I think what they got last night was a speech that lifted up the country, that celebrated the incredible progress that we've made in our economy, rebuilding our military, strengthening our courts. But the stories, the stories that the president told were American stories. And uh, I I, I just know it was a great, great uh, blessing to people all across America. And it's uh, one of the reasons uh, why you see the the momentum growing behind this president. And uh, uh, I just uh, just have a strong feeling that uh, uh, she's going to be the last Speaker of the House to to uh, sit in that chair for well, a long time. You know. Well, going back to the C-SPAN callers, one of the callers I heard who phoned in made the remark that what happened to the Democrat Party, it's been taken over by communists. Exactly. 
it's been taken over by communists. These people are as far left almost as you can get without openly declaring themselves communists because they certainly are not going to call themselves that. They might go so far as to say, I'm a socialist like Bernie Sanders or AOC. AOC, by the way, was despicable when she didn't go and then she put out these videos in which she was just trashing Rush Limbaugh. I mean, these people have no decorum whatsoever. They have no respect for this country. And people have to keep in mind, when these attacks are launched, these people despise patriotic Americans. That's who they really hate. They really hate the patriotic Americans who put decent people in office, people who have sound policies in office, regardless of whether it's Trump or or anybody else. If you don't vote for somebody with a D behind their name, who's completely radical on everything from so-called same-sex marriage to single payer, then there's something wrong with you. You're immoral. We can't tolerate your hate. I just think they may have overplayed their hand at this point. One more cut I wanted to play with Vice President Pence. Steve Ducey at Fox was saying it looked like she planned to rip up this speech all along. Did you think so? Does does Pence agree? This is what he said. It felt like it. It was such an immediate moment. And I, I just don't, get, you know, I've been to a lot of State of the Union addresses uh, as, as a member of Congress. And, and now this was my fourth uh, as a vice president of the United States. And there's always a basic decorum and a basic respect. Uh, but to have her stand up and tear up that speech um, really dishonored the moment. And, uh, and, and I really thought it was beneath the dignity uh, of, uh, of, of a joint session of Congress. And uh, I think it'll be remembered as such. I agree. I agree. Meanwhile, what's going on in Iowa? Why can't these people get their act together? They want to redo health care and make it all single payer. and The government will run health care under their tutelage, but they can't even get their caucus results out in a timely manner. It, it, these people are off the rails. Now, here's what's interesting. There was a Gallup poll that came out this week showing record high approval numbers for Trump and also the GOP. So it really does look like these impeachment proceedings are backfiring big time for Democrats. This is the thing. There was no there there to begin with. They, they were just so desperate. And what's so disgusting about the whole thing is to use what was meant to be a very, very serious last resort as a means of removing somebody from office who was not guilty of high crimes and misdemeanors, not by any stretch of the imagination. His crime, so to speak, was getting elected over Hillary and getting in the way of the progressive agenda. And I would just say to everybody, we need to continue to pray for this country. We need to continue to pray for our president and our vice president and our Congress and all of our local representatives who are trying to fight the good fight when they are elected to office. And I think this should really put the fire into everybody who has been maybe sitting a little bit back and saying, "Eh, you know, politics, I don't really care about politics. You should care about politics because they care about politics a lot and they want to be in power no matter what. And can you imagine if they get more power, what they will do to us? This is what we really need to keep in mind. So continue to pray for our country. Just as a last word, I want to thank each and every one of you who have been donating to the Ministry of Preborn. They provide free ultrasounds for abortion-minded women in pregnancy centers across the country. It's such a great, great ministry. And we have extended our campaign. You can still give a gift of $28. We'll provide a free ultrasound for a woman in a pregnancy crisis. So if you could, just dial this number, 855-402-BABY, 855 
2229, or you can click on a banner over at JanetMefford.com. Thank you so much for your support. We're going to see you next time. Thanks a lot for tuning in and God bless.